Welcome to the CKNW Weekend Morning Show Podcast. I'm your Saturday host, Sterling Fox, and today, Whitney Goldston is urging the B.C. government to include better screening for newborns. David Katz, founder of Plastic Bank, has a clever new take on ridding our oceans of plastics. And Nicole McKnight from Finder.com has an update on those hard-to-find home test kits. So, let's get started. It's a pleasure to welcome our first guest to the program today. We're in Victoria to speak to Whitney Ayub Goldston. Whitney is the executive director for the Canadian Immunodeficiencies Patient Organization. Quite a mouthful. Whitney, good morning and welcome. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me, Sterling. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you with us, Whitney. Always got time for babies on my radio program. And let's start with this one, because I think by way of setting up what what you're going to talk to us about, and, and it's a kind of a strange stretch, but I want to talk, I want to talk about Bubble Boy, uh, because yeah. that is going to remind a lot of our listeners this morning, if you don't mind, uh, Whitney, just, just take us back to the 1970s, because we all remember this kid. He was in Texas, and, and I, they even made a movie about him, and I think John Travolta was in the movie. Anyway, this was a kid who had, uh, uh, he was immunocompromised, and he actually lived uh, for a very short while in a plastic bubble. Remind us of the story, if you would, please. Yeah, you are absolutely correct. David Better was born in the 1970s in Texas, and he was diagnosed with a rare but fatal disease called SCID, or Severe Combined Immune Deficiency, which is one of uh, a group of immune deficiencies called primary immune deficiencies, where you're born with uh, part of your immune system missing or broken. In this Mm -hmm. severe form of SCID, it's with your immune system pretty much not working at all. And you have to, when he was born in the 70s, we we were unaware of this disease. And he was born having to live in what they built, which was a bubble, so that he was able to survive um, from free from infection. And uh, he did not survive for long, but he was able to bring awareness to this disease. They were able to diagnose it. And since then, um, we've had progress, obviously, in innovation and technology, and we are able to now advocate for this disease. So now, uh, uh, again, uh, when we, I, I can vividly recall this, and, and I think I recall it uh, both as a news story, Whitney, but also from the movie, the Hollywood treatment of it. But the fact that I can recall it speaks very eloquently to the degree of awareness this movie and this young boy's situation created amongst us all. His family was amazing. The vetters and other families like him have advocated for years for the early diagnosis and screening, which is what we're here to talk about today, adding SCID to the newborn screening programs across the United States. They've been very successful, and we've been successful here in Canada adding it. Unfortunately, BC is one of two provinces that still does not screen for this potentially fatal disease. Without early screening and treatment, most babies born with SCID often don't live past their first birthday. Mm, sad news. So, so Whitney, what, what percentage, and I hate to reduce this to a mathematical conversation, but you, we need to understand the scope of what we're talking about. How many babies in British Columbia on an annual basis would test positive if indeed they were tested? Right. So unfortunately, we don't know because we're not testing, but we can see from other provinces and from the birth rate in B.C. that uh, we can expect probably to catch 
at least four babies a year is what we're expecting. But we also know that it wouldn't just catch babies with skid. It would also catch other babies with potentially other immune disorders and these T-cell disorders. So it would catch other diseases as well with this uh, with this screen. But we also know that, you know, if diagnosed in the few mo- first few months of life, more than 95% of babies will survive because they'd be having the treatment that they need. Right. And that's the difference between the, tw- the 2020s and the 1970s, when that young man in Texas was identified as having this condition. It was the first time many in the medical community had even heard of it. And here we are exactly. some 50 years later. Uh, if a child, if a baby is diagnosed with this immunocompromised condition, Whitney, uh, uh, are there now therapies in place so that little person can grow up like every other kid born in B.C.? Absolutely. We have treatment now. We have uh, treatment. We have bone marrow transplants. We have gene therapy available for these babies. We have uh, immunoglobulin treatment that kind of substitutes immune systems with other people who donate plasma. There is absolutely treatment for these babies to grow up and live a great quality of life and, uh, and live happily into their adulthood. Hmm. We have three children, Whitney, all of which were born at the now suddenly controversial Peace Arch District Hospital. And I can remember at the birth of each th- uh, one boy and two girls, uh, I'm sorry, one girl and two boys in that order. And I can remember that the, 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 some of the screening tests that they were given right in, in, in the delivery room and, and very shortly thereafter. What sort of test does BC not give? And which is the other Canadian province that lines up with BC in the so far no go category? Right. So, yeah, you know, you're right. Every baby is born. They have that little heel prick. It's That's right. It's a non-invasive test. And they, they are screened for a number of rare diseases at, currently at birth. Skid, obviously, is one that's not. And uh, Newfoundland is the other province that currently okay. does not screen for skid. Um, Quebec doesn't as well, but Quebec has an application in front of them for skid currently, and we're awaiting uh, the uh, decision there. We are hoping, um, we're in discussion currently with the BC Health Minister, Adrian Dix, and the BC government. You know, we are asking and ensuring that these babies have a chance to grow up healthy and live Mm -hmm. normal lives. And we're expecting, we're very optimistic, so we are expecting uh, the good news to come through. Um, But we know that, you know, other systems are in place right now with the healthcare, and there are other strains on the, the government priorities. So we, are, we do know that's happening right now. So, Whitney, what kind of test is it? Again, I'm, I'm, it's been a few years since the kids were that little, but I'm trying to recall some of the testing protocols that, that they went through as tiny people. How, what sort of test is this, and at what point in the baby's uh, infancy does it occur, if not in the delivery room? Yeah. So this is a genetic disease. So you'll find out if it, if it does include in the screening, right now it's not, but at birth, when they're given the newborn screen, they get that heel prick, you put right. that little dab of blood on the piece of paper, and they're screened for a, a bunch of um, diseases at the moment. And then they would find out at birth whether or not, with through that one prick of blood, they would find out whether or not they have skid. If they're not screened for skid at birth, which in BC they're currently not, the baby would unfortunately just decline from birth. They'd have that failure to thrive. Um, and it would just, I mean, at this point, we have a 40% survival rate for those babies. Um, and 
if you're not screened for SCID, you know, babies usually cost the healthcare system about $2.5 million within the first five years of life due to time in and out of the NICU, in and out of the hospital, uh, isolation treatment. Um, You know, as you know, as we've talked about David Vetter, these bubble babies, as they're called, um, need strict isolation protocols Mm -hmm. and uh, have a very high uh, medical cost for the first five years of life, if they survive past their first birthday. Well, I'm, uh, and, and we're certainly going to wish you considerable success with this, Whitney. It sounds, I gather from the tone of your voice, that you're feeling somewhat optimistic that we're going to get skid testing for little BC babies in the foreseeable future. Thank you. And thank you so much, Sterling, for highlighting such an important cause for our babies in BC. Well, it's my pleasure, Whitney, and I do uh, I do really wish you success, and I look forward to the opportunity when it becomes a fact in BC to having this conversation again. I do, too. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You, too. There's Whitney Goulston joining us from Victoria. Whitney is the executive director for the Canadian Immunodeficiencies Patient Organization, or CIPO. <laughs> Our next guest is back with us from Finder.com, and this outfit published a thing a couple of days ago, an article entitled COVID Testing in Canada, What You Need to Know. Nicole McKnight is the PR manager with Finder.com, joining us from Toronto. Good morning, Nicole. Welcome back. Good morning. It's so nice to be back on. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great stuff. And the headline that caught our attention, of course, regarding to this uh, COVID tests in Canada piece that you've published at finder.com is more than 1 million Canadians say they would spend a hundred bucks or more on a single rapid antigen test. Give us the details behind the headline, Nicole, please. Yeah. So, I mean, when we did the study, you know, we saw, first of all, we saw so much traffic increasing, like a six-fold increase to our uh, COVID testing pages. You know, we have sites on finder.com where people can go and find reputable suppliers, buy online, right. all of that. And we were seeing such a traffic increase. We just wanted to get a sense of what, where people were, where they were in terms of their spending and what they would do. So about 30% of the Canadians said they would buy a test. Um, but, but yeah, a, a sort of 1 million was kind of that extreme where they would say they would spend $100 on a test. The majority said they would spend sort of between 5 and 25 on a test, which is the typical sort of retail price. Well, that was what I was um, going to I, ask you, Nicole, just yeah. to sort of give us some perspective here. If you're, you're prepared to spend mm-hmm. 100 bucks for a single test, what typically should you spend for a single test? Yeah, so, I mean... Like 18% of Canadians said they'd spend $5, 7%, $10, 4%, 25%. So you can see it decreasing. So most Canadians, I think, don't have that desire to spend more than they really need to. But um, I, I think it just speaks to the fact that even that many people are just speaks to sort of the, the supply issues, the confusion with, you know, the federal government has promised tests to all the provinces, but there's been many delays in some cases and it hasn't gone into the hands of people when they, when they do need it in that moment. So I I think just, you know, it, it, you know, be some speculation, but I can imagine that it would be, you know, when people feel that they have that sense of anxiety or that they've come in contact with someone and they, that anxiety drives them to spend far more, um, than they would normally because, you know, the supply is low, therefore demand is high, you know, these sorts of things happen. 
And then, and then you talked about confusion already, Nicole, and then this is where the yeah. confusion gets compounded because this is where the bad guys come in, the, the bogus yeah. uh, test kits and, and stuff that looks legit online, and they'll happily mm-hmm. rip you off. So how did, did you give instructions or do, have people yeah. come to you in terms of surveying going, you know, I tried to buy a test, but it turns out I, got, I just got ripped off. Yeah, we've been hearing cases of that. We work with um, two or three really reputable suppliers right now that are listed on our site. And it's I, I guess the advice would be to any Canadians looking online, because often these tests are not in your local pharmacy right now. And right. it's just not that sort of thing you can do. So when you're looking to buy tests online, and many people are looking especially to buy bulk tests, because you often, you know, you save a little bit of money that way in terms of the cost per test. And then right. you've got yourself a supply for, for the for the next, you know, winter or however long. Um, but yeah, definitely look for like Health Canada approved suppliers. Uh, can, we have, you know, Canadian suppliers that are making them in Canada, selling them here. Um, you know, you can always check like on our website, we always make sure to let people know when they're in stock mm-hmm. um, and the supplier themselves is reputable. So just do a little bit of research. I know, like I was saying, the anxiety, I think, sometimes drives those quick decisions. It's just like, oh, I've got to get a test. And yes. it's just like, just take take that extra five, ten minutes and just ensure that whoever you're buying those tests from are, you know, verified suppliers. So kind of, I guess, keep calm is sort of the first step. And, and yeah, just do a little bit of research before you hit purchase. Right. And doing part of the homework, and, and if you are, and many Canadians really are quite serious about this dimension to the COVID protocols that they can mm-hmm. take care of or manage by themselves, it's also important doing your homework. For example, I'm on your website. I'm at, I'm at finder.com mm-hmm. right now. And there's here's mm-hmm. one example. This is a 20-pack a of uh, antigen mm-hmm. test uh, for 160 yep. bucks, but it's not going to be available until about a month from now. So again, this is simply supply and demand, yes. isn't it? Nicole. Exactly. And it's just, you know, that's where you just have to look around and say, okay, if I want that particular test and I'm okay to wait, that then, you know, at least you're getting that information right up, up front. Okay, this is, there's a little bit of a wait this with, with this one, this, this other test, maybe it's available right now. And you can just kind of do that comparison shopping based on, you know, do you need it right away or within a week or two, or maybe can you wait three, four weeks just to have some additional supply? So again, yeah, just, just make sure that information is presented up front. So you know what you're getting into. So you're not stressed out sort of waiting for a long time if you need it sooner. And how can you find out, Nicole, if if the mm-hmm. if the testing uh, kit that you you're buying is indeed legitimate, that it would pass, for example, a, a travel test or a government mm-hmm. uh, some kind of government watermark? How how, how can you know yeah. uh, which brands are the good ones and and, and which aren't? Well, I think there's a twofold sort of there with, with it depends on your need, right? So okay. when we asked Canadians the why, many of them said they were just buying this test for, you know, peace of mind to know whether sure. they were exposed, if they're about to, you know, visit maybe people that are at risk or whatever it is. But I think travel is sort of another dimension. So, you know, we have a supplier I know that we're working with that, um, you know, work specifically for travel where you get a little bit more guidance from a, a medical professional and it's a, a more official test where those might cost a little bit more, but then the test that you're getting, you know, you can then bring that certification to either travel into the U.S. or I, I believe right now to travel, I, I traveled myself into the U.S. and got an antigen test at one of those places where they give you right. the official certificate that you need. So, so I think it's just a, two, a twofold need. You know, like some people are just, it's for their own peace of mind. It's for their own sort of at-home use. But um, with travel, you do often need that official 
certification. So you've just got to make sure you're looking at the difference. You can't just, I, I don't believe you can just show up to the airport with a plastic antigen test <laughs> in your hand. You've got to, you got to have a visual verification for, for travel. Well, that's right. And again, uh, homework is a, yeah. is a key component to doing. You, know, you need to know uh, the if you're going to use it, what application you intend to use the test for, and exactly. then you purchase the right kind. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And and the rules are always shifting, right? So I yes. think, you know, going on a site like ours is, is great from like looking and seeing what's in stock. And we always list our, our suppliers if they're verified or not. But then even looking at government sites as well, because travel rules will change quite often. And you just want to yes. make sure that, you know, you don't get to the airport and you're, you're not prepared. Um, so, so I think as long as you're prepared, it can be stress-free. I know I traveled sort of right when the Omicron wave hit into New York and came back and, um, you know, just, I, I felt, I felt it was actually not that stressful because I had prepared it in advance with all the testing and had all my certifications and information with me. Just as a curiosity question, mm-hmm. when you traveled out of the country, yes. and then of course when you return to Canada, you need to have mm-hmm. a, a, a negative test recently taken before arriving at the Canadian border. Are you allowed to take a test kit that you bought mm-hmm. in Canada with you, use that one before you come home, or do you have to buy one down there at a U.S. seller? I'm, I'm, I, unless the rules have changed, I'm pretty certain that you actually have to to get back into Canada. The rules are quite strict where you have to take a PCR test. So I had to go to a PCR clinic, take the test, and then they emailed me like the official results to then present at the airport. And it was within 72 hours of my, my leaving the country. Um, I still ended up getting Omicron after the fact that by the time I I got home about a week later, but so have many of us. So I think it's becoming a bit, um, I think everyone has either had it or definitely know someone who's has had it in their friends and family in the past sort of months month and a half not um, exactly the kind of reward you were looking for for that little <laughs> expedition either was it yeah not not really but it was it was a nice trip it was a, a sort of a business um i got to meet some people and all of that sort of thing that i hadn't yet met in person so um i, I again i think that also speaks to just risk reward you know if, sure. if you if you feel if there are canadians that are planning travel in the coming months just you know no know where you're going, what, what the cases are like there. And if you feel, it, yeah, I think it comes up to personal safety. If you feel safe to travel, whether you're vaccinated and all the various factors, I think individuals need to take into consideration. It's a pretty fluid situation. And again, on yes. the website right here at the top of this page about uh, COVID testing in Canada, what you need to know right there uh, at the top of the page, uh, visit the government of Canada website for the latest yes. updates on testing requirements, vaccinations, travel restrictions, and more because as you've already pointed out there <laughs> yeah. are there these this is an evolving thing and so uh, last week's yeah. rules may not apply this week so uh, immediate exactly, homework yeah. is constantly required yes for sure definitely so covid uh, 19 testing in canada what you need mm-hmm. to know friends it's all there in a nice package at finder.com and i recommend it particularly if you're going to do some traveling or contemplating it or just trying to get yourself up to speed on antigen testing and those home kits nicole mcknight joining us from toronto thanks for this i appreciate the update and it's terrific information you folks at finder do great work thank you so much sterling have a wonderful day thanks for having me You too. There's Nicole McKnight at finder.com joining us from head office in Toronto. More than a million of us say we spend a hundred bucks or more on a single rapid antigen test. Boy, talk about money to burn. Who are these people?
Here's a quote from our next guest. Turn off the tap. Cleaning the ocean is futile. The very last thing we need to do is clean the oceans. We need to stop the flow of plastic from entering our oceans to begin with. This quote is from the founder and CEO of Plastic Bank. And it's a pleasure to welcome this gentleman to our program today. David Katz joins us. Mr. Katz, David, good morning. Good morning, Sterling. Good morning. Thank you for having me on your show. Oh, it's a pleasure, David. Tell us about the goal. Two billion plastic bottles stopped from entering the world's oceans. Uh, a, a, a monumental goal. How did you achieve it? It is. I mean, if you're in the consideration, 2,000 million bottles. Think of everything right. we've had to do so far. But still, it's still a drop in the, drop in the ocean, pardon the pun, hmm. considering that some, some 12 billion kilos, some 100 million, more than 100 million bottles are entering the ocean um, you know, every year. So there's, there's a lot of work to be done. So now tell us how you came to this and, and began getting, doing something about it, David, please. You know what, what we've really done just to give it, you know, we into a metaphor really is we're created a global chain of stores for the ultra poor in the consideration that most of the material that's entering the ocean is coming from areas of poverty, like extreme poverty. And if you don't have a door or a floor, well, what consideration do you give to, to recycling? And so we've sure. created this global chain of stores where everything in the store can be purchased using plastic garbage. And we offer school tuition and medical insurance and Wi-Fi, cooking fuel, everything the world's poor need now available using what others consider garbage as money. And so we've changed and shifted the paradigm of the material itself. It's no longer waste, it's worth. Right. And that's really what we've done, is we've created a way for the world to use it, like cash. And then inside of it is a banking application, where our collectors earn a bank account and a credit score, and they have the ability to buy other financial tools and products using garbage as money. How long has material. this been going on, David? Well, I had the idea May the 9th, 2013, and we've just been executing ever since. And, and where did you start? You, you're, you're talking about yeah. the, the poorest countries in the world and giving people in those countries incentives to, well, to learn about and then begin to recycle to yeah. their own advantage because the plastic they, exactly. they, they, they recycle gets turned into money. What was your, your first target country? We started off in Haiti, the world, oh. you know, the Western Hemisphere's poorest, poorest economy. Sure is. And we went to the Philippines and Indonesia, the slums of Brazil. Egypt, where half of the country lives underneath the international poverty line. We're now opening Cameroon, Tanzania, Kenya, Thailand. Poverty is uh, prevalent, uh, Sterling. It's it's a consideration that we all have to all have to have. And many many listeners may know about the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Right. right? These seventeen initiatives from the United Nations. Uh, but what the world needs to come together on to solve the. the the, the conditions of, of life and raise humanity. And what many people don't know is that they're in order from one to 17. If we're to get to 14, which is life below water, we have to all solve number one. And number one is end poverty. If we don't right. end poverty, all the other ones are almost impossible to solve. We really won't get to gender equality or knowledge or ending hunger if we don't solve it first. So that's the, that's the way we've tackled it. End right. poverty and the rest of it takes care of itself. So when you go into a country like Haiti or the Philippines or Brazil, are you approached by these by these by organizations in these countries, David, or do you go in and approach them? 
we go in and approach them. I mean, you know, many, uh, certainly depending on where they live, they don't, you don't know what you don't know, obviously. Right. So when we go into a country, we begin approaching organizations. Now we're a for-profit organization. The material we collect, we sell to great companies like S.C. Johnson, I'll just name the brand Windex. If you buy a bottle of Windex, you'll find our logo on it. And you would, in fact, have been working with the world's poor to extract the plastic before it enters the ocean and help end that person's suffering and poverty just a little bit. So we sell that material at a premium and we pass that on into the ecosystem. So when we go into a country and we work in an organization, they make a little bit of extra money. The collectors make more money and supply mm-hmm. chain makes more money. The brand makes a little bit of extra. Even the, the consumer wins as well because what they're actually end up doing is participating in global change. So it's a, it's a win for everybody. Some pretty staggering numbers here, and, and, and there are 10 trillion kilos of plastic still out there, with 8 yep. billion kilos being dumped into our oceans every year. That's that's yep. just an astronomical number. We don't think of it. It's difficult Not to think of, of numbers that big, David. Yeah, I, you know, Sterling, do you remember playing with a toy when you were a little boy that was plastic? Do you remember any of your toys being plastic back then? I mean, if you uh, do... Well, it, and many will, if I consider the listeners sure. here, you know, you've had a toy when you were a little kid or a, a coffee cup 20 years ago with a lid. It's still here somewhere on the earth. Yep. It's buried somewhere in the planet. Everything we've ever produced is basically still here. Some of it was, you know, maybe, maybe used for energy somewhere, but almost all of it's still here. Here's the staggering number for me, 10 trillion kilos at, at a very, very low value, low value of a dollar a kilo, mm-hmm. 10 trillion 10 trillion dollars of material just plastic dumped on the planet where 500 billion is estimated to end extreme poverty globally Mm. 500 billion to end poverty 10 trillion dollars dumped into the environment we're in the process of converting that material into cash that ends and suffering ends ends uh, degradation, ends malnourishment, ends inequality. David, we're working more, more Vancouver people. This is a Vancouver company. We need to, we mm-hmm. probably haven't mm-hmm. emphasized that very much, but where can no, people go you. online to learn more about Plastic Bank, please? Yeah, it's plasticbank.com, of course. Now do that. We, we certainly love to engage people, but if I could ask anyone listening, it would be to go into a, a, a local store look for the manager and ask the manager for to point out those items that might be made from recycled content. Look for ones that are made from social plastic for sure. Look for products that are doing well in the world. Hmm. Even if the manager can't point out anything, what it does is it exhibits a demand for materials that don't kill the planet anymore. What we need to do is build a renaissance, a revolution of society that is looking to only buy those things that do well. And when we exhibit that, brands begin to answer because they'll sell what you want. Remember, every time you buy something, you vote for it. Mm-hmm. So vote, wi- vote wisely and, and, and watch the hypocrisy sometimes because we show up and demand change, but then we, we ourselves buy, buy things that degrade society. There's lots of work. Lots of work to be done, David. One can only commend mm-hmm. you for the work you're doing, sir. Uh, Plastic you. Bank Thanks is a phenomenal me. idea. Plasticbank.com. Lots more to learn about this incredible initiative right out of Vancouver. It's founder and CEO David Katz joining us this morning. Thank you, David. Please keep up the good work, sir. Thanks, Sterling.
Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen to us live six to nine weekend mornings. I'm Sterling Fox. Have a great week. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.